We live in a world that is facing one of its biggest challenges in living memory. The coronavirus pandemic has devastating potential as it sweeps across the globe. To fight this virus and slow its spread, we've had to change almost everything about how we live our lives. In Coronavirus Examined, we're talking to experts from the University of Sheffield to explore the different ways in which coronavirus is changing our world and the way we live. I'm Alicia Shepherd, and welcome to Coronavirus Examined. Each episode, we're speaking to a different academic via the socially distanced means of video chat to ask them for their expert takes on the broad ranging impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the challenges around working from home and how we can make the most of some of the benefits that working from home provides. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Fuchsia Saroy from our Department of Psychology. Fuchsia is an expert in risk and resilience factors for health and well-being. This includes factors such as procrastination, perfectionism, and loneliness. I believe it is recording. Already? Yep. So I'm, I'm in the uh, Department of Psychology, and I'm in the, particularly in the social and health psychology area. So most of my research focuses on risk and resilience factors for health and well-being. Um, so broadly speaking, I look on the, on the resilient side as factors such as uh, self-compassion and gratitude and, and how these might help people deal with some of the stressors in their lives. On the risk side, um, I look at factors such as procrastination um, and perfectionism, loneliness, and how these might uh, create risk for people's uh, everyday well-being. I guess these are all factors which are coming into play at the moment with self-isolation and people not being able to spend as much time with other people. Yes, exactly. I mean, the the crisis that we're in right now is certainly um, bringing some of these risk factors to the forefront and uh, there are certainly things that people are struggling with. So um, understanding uh, the dynamics under these risk factors I think is important for dealing with them as is also the sorts of things that you can do to help people build resilience. In particular, people are working from home where they can now, and there are arguments in favour of that in terms of productivity, because you remove yourself from a busy office environment, for example. But with everybody working from home now, are we likely to encounter more distractions and begin procrastinating more? Um, I think the key thing is, you know, when we're, we always have distractions that are there in our lives that can take us off task and and sort of um, erode our, our productivity. But the thing is, when you're in a work environment, it's usually a work environment that you become quite used to, you become comfortable in. So when you're new to a work environment, particular work environment, there's going to be some distractions there and you find ways to deal with them. So I think for all of us right now, we've gotten used to dealing with the distractions in our, our, our every day-to-day work environments uh, you know, outside of the home. Um, and when you come home to work, you're now dealing with a whole new um set of distractions that you maybe hadn't thought about before and, and hadn't anticipated. And, and these are the sorts of things that, that can throw people off their game and, and uh, lead them to, you know, down the path of procrastination, if you like, uh, and perhaps not being as productive as, they, as they'd like to be. What are the impacts of procrastination and a lack of productivity on our mental well-being? Um, I think, you know, we know that for um, from the research that people who procrastinate, for example, have um, higher, well, procrastinate frequently, that is, have higher rates of anxiety and depression, they have poor well-being, they're less satisfied with what they do. Um, but if we sort of drill down from that a little bit, you know, what's going on really is that when you're procrastinating, you're not getting the things done that you want to get done. So you're not being productive. Um, and 
what we do know is that when we, we are productive and when we get things done, this gives you a sense of self-confidence or what we call self-efficacy, which is a sense of feeling of your confidence and, and a feeling of being competent enough to be able to complete tasks through to completion. That can feed into a really positive sense of, of self-esteem. It can make you feel valued. Um, and we know these sorts of things um, contribute to better well-being. So on the flip side of that, if you're not completing tasks um, or not completing them on time, this can erode that sense of confidence and that can make you feel less valuable, makes you feel less confident in your abilities. It erodes our problem solving abilities. It erodes um, sense of um, confidence in ourselves and that can lead to self-doubt, self-criticism, feelings of guilt and even shame. So you've got that in combination then you can see that creates sort of a downward spiral, especially if it becomes more habitual. Um, and some of my research has shown, for example, that People who chronically procrastinate, they are very critical on themselves and they have very low levels of something we call self-compassion, which is this ability to um, be kind and accepting of yourself when you make mistakes rather than being harshly self-critical and also realizing that you're not the only one who's ever made that mistake before, right? And, and this is the problem with if you don't have that self-compassion, you can feel like there's something wrong with you. You're the only person who's made this mistake before, or who's procrastinated, um, and that can lead you to feeling more and more isolated. When we feel isolated, we don't reach out to people for support. So you can see how this sort of turns into a very negative downward spiral with respect to well-being. So what are some of the benefits to working from home, and how can we keep ourselves from procrastinating? I think there's a few things that can be done. I mean, first of all, it's setting up a structured routine to scaffold your own attention so that you stay on task. So if you are someone who's prone to distractions and, you know, we say that working at home can be what I call a procrastogenic environment, right? It's an environment that, that breeds procrastination because there are so many distractions, you know, it's so easy to sit down and look at, and look at the television or, you know, binge watch Netflix or what, what have you, um, or just, you know, just have fun if you've, if you've, you know, got family or pets, just have fun with uh, and do more pleasant things with your family members and um, then just stay focused on your work. So setting up a routine can help scaffold your attention to stay on, on task. So you say, you know, from such and such time to such and such time, I'm going to be working on this report. I'm going to be working. Then I'm going to take a break. So it's really important to plan in those breaks too. Um, you don't want to overwork and you have to have that balance, but they should also be timed breaks too, so that you don't kind of get lost in the fun of the breaks and then, you know, not, are not able to come back to um, doing your work. So I think that's, <clears throat> that's the first thing that needs to be done is you need to have that schedule. You also need to plan for the distractions. So as I mentioned earlier, we get used to planning and we come up with strategies for dealing with the distractions that might happen in our work environment, our regular work environment. When we're in a new work environment, and this especially the homework environment, we, we don't always anticipate that there's going to be those distractions. In fact, we might be unrealistically optimistic and think, oh, it's going to be great. I'm at home. My kids are there. My dog's there. My cat's there. You know, this is going to be really relaxing and really nice, right? You've got to, first, one of the things you can do other than the schedule as well is to sit down and say, what are the sorts of things that I might expect, right? So... If you've got a dog that needs to go out just every couple of hours, take the dog out before you sit down and, and do things. Anticipate that, you know, just because you're in the flow of writing that report, you know, your, your, your dog isn't going to just stop wanting to go out or get your attention and sort of plan things around. Same thing with children, partners, et cetera, especially if you've got others in your, in your, your home environment. 
Um, and we call this, this has been shown in the research, to be very, very effective a way of dealing with these distractions. So we call it implementation intentions. So you, you plan for distractions, right? And then you, you come up with things that you can do to respond when those distractions happen in the environment. So it's planning for what we call environmental cues, right? So when somebody calls you out of the blue and wants to just chat, you say, sorry, no, I'm, I'm actually working right now. Can I call you back at a certain time? Um, if you anticipate that, you know, children or other family members might be coming to ask you questions because they see you at home, make, draw clear boundaries and just say, look, you know, I'm working right now on this. You know, some people, you've seen some things on social media, people put, you know, signs up on the doors, do not disturb working. So these are, this is all part of that planning for the distractions. You put things in place. Um, in some ways, doing that, you have to be what I call, um, or what the research suggests is a defensive pessimist. Plan for the worst, right? Sit down and think, don't anticipate things are going to go smoothly. Don't be an optimist. Be a defensive pessimist and say, things are going to go wrong. What kind of things do I think are going to go wrong with me trying to get this work done today? And then take the steps to manage those potential disruptions so that you're all set up to do it. So I think that's one thing you can do for yourself, you know, that you're in control of. The other thing though, too, is you can, it's, you know, it's like you said, it's awfully lonely working at home. Um, especially now you're secluding yourself off from family members, or if you are alone at home working, so you can set up work sessions with, with colleagues, right? Having that social contact um, with others is really important um, because often we can use distractions such as escape to deal with feelings. So if we're feeling lonely, we're feeling, you know, we're struggling with a particular task. We don't know what to do with that task. We don't, we're not really sure how to manage it. And we've got nobody to go to ask to because in the, you know, in the office environment, we might've just walked over, you know, to somebody and said, right, I'm having a bit of a problem with this. Can you help me? You can't do that when you're working at home. So having um, people that you can, you know, on speed dial, if you like, give a call or better still is sort of more of a virtual type of chat where you can actually see them and just talk through the problems. So setting up that support network, I think, is really key as well, too. And it gives you that social side. It makes you feel less isolated and, and sort of disconnected from things. And, and that's also going to keep you on track. How much of a difference can these kinds of virtual interactions make to people? Because obviously it's not the same as being in the same room as somebody. I mean, part of feeling connected, it doesn't, it's not, I mean, obviously being in the same room is like, you know, the gold standard, but talking to somebody on the phone, I mean, that's, people reach out to others on the phone all the time. So whether, I, I think now that we have the, the ability to actually see the person we're talking to, that adds another layer of connection because now we can read the other person's body language. We can read their expressions. Um, it's, they're not there in front of you, but you are getting those visual cues in terms of them responding to what you're saying. And I think that's, what's really important in, in social connection. It's not just that you're talking into a vacuum, right? That it's making a difference, right? You can see the person nod or smile. You can see the person, um, maybe have a puzzled look on their face. So you know that you're actually interacting with somebody, you're connecting with somebody socially, and that makes you feel less isolated. It makes you feel valuable too, especially if you say something that puts a smile on the person's face or you share an idea and they go, oh, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. So it has the same sorts of effects it would have um, in any you know, real-time um, social interaction. Um, and that's, again, just all these things, what they do is, especially in the work environment, um, when you're having, when you're alone, you have a lot of doubts about what you're doing, 
right? And self-doubts about what you're doing lead to procrastination because you're not sure what you'd be doing. You put it off because you feel uncomfortable, right? The idea is that people procrastinate when they feel, have negative feelings about the task or about themselves in relation to the task. So you can really dial down and sort of um, combat those negative feelings and those self-doubts when you're talking with somebody else as well. And as, of course, you get the added benefit that you, uh, you've got that feeling of social connection, which of course, feeling, feelings of loneliness are, are going to be a, a natural byproduct for many of, of uh, this experience of being working at home or being socially isolated. Obviously, we've got the problem of social isolation in terms of working, but do you think there are some difficulties around things like staying motivated when there's something like this going on and making your work continue to feel significant and important? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a double-edged sword for many, and 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 you have to be, you have to kind of reflect a bit in these situations. It's not going to come naturally. I mean, when we're faced with this um, sort of crisis, it obviously can, you know, the, the the little problems, the things that were nuisances and annoyances before this all happened, they just they fade into the background, don't they? Because we've all got much larger issues looming, both individually as a society and as a world. We're all facing this thing together. Um, and that can make your small problems seem insignificant, but that doesn't mean that you, you need to feel insignificant or that your work needs to feel insignificant either. I think one of the benefits of working at home though too, um, and that might help in terms of finding that sense of meaning, is that when you are at home, this is your space. So how you've decorated it, how you've set it up, um, you know, the, your favorite rooms, you know, your hobbies, your activities, you might have photographs or art or things around that remind you of your values, of what's important to you as a person. Um, so you're, you're more immediately put in touch with sort of the meaning, things that are meaningful for you. Your work, though, too, and the work that we do in society also can have, give you that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning. And I think one of the things that's you know happening now and you hear this a lot in the media is people are starting to look at some of the jobs that people do all these sorts of jobs that are in the background we now see them more in a more of a meaningful light so it can help you think a, a, and reflect a little bit more on about what the importance of of your work is and what it does contribute if even a small part because i think that's the thing that matters when you have these sorts of crises every little small thing matters do you have any final hints or tips or motivational messages for those listening with respect to procrastination, I'm going to I'm going to use a motivational message that my colleague Tim Pitchell um, in Canada uses, and I think it's a brilliant one, and it's it's very simple. Um, so if you're struggling getting something done, you know, with with your work, or if maybe you're struggling to see the meaning of what you're doing, and you're going, well, what am, you know, what's the importance of this given everything that's going on in the world? Um, the thing he says is just get started. So just start doing it because. Often we think too much about what we're doing. So I've, I've just said, you know, gone on about how it is important to reflect, but I think we have to reflect, but we have to combine that with action as well. And so, you know, you might, after reflecting a little bit, don't overanalyze what you're doing. Don't, because you could go down the path of seeing it as not significant, right? And then erode your own motivation. But just, if you're struggling with tasks, just get started because often we overthink things. We think a task that we're working on, oh, this isn't really meaningful, this isn't really significant, or, oh, this is really stressful, I'm not sure if I can do it. So anytime we have these uncertainties, these doubts, these negative feelings, they can paralyze us from taking action. If you just get started, what you often find is you start doing it, and you go, wait a second, 
this actually isn't that hard after all. This actually isn't that stressful. In fact, it might actually be enjoyable and I'm actually having a good time doing this now. So just getting started and just pushing yourself, if you find yourself starting to be paralyzed by overthinking, it can be the best remedy to just get back on board with that motivation and find something meaningful about what you're doing. Before we go, we'd just like to say a huge thanks to Fuchsia for talking to us on Coronavirus Examined. If you want to find out more about her research, you can follow her on Twitter at, at @fuchsiasroy. We'll also be including links to any relevant research or blog posts in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening, and hopefully you'll join us for our next episode where we'll be talking about the benefits of green spaces and plants, something that's more relevant now than ever. Coronavirus Examined is a podcast series from the University of Sheffield. It's presented by me, Alicia Shepherd, and edited and produced by Harry Clulo and Tommy Wilson. To find out more about the University of Sheffield's research around coronavirus, head to sheffield.ac.uk forward slash research forward slash coronavirus.